0: Hello everyone, today I am with Johnny Campbell, he is the co-founder of Social Talent, a world leading platform for building better workplaces and elevating hiring teams and experts. And first and foremost, uh, we just had a great conversation, not just about your your product and your platform, but also your perspective and philosophy around, around work and the future of work. So I'm excited to learn more about you. Uh, Johnny, your story, your background, but also we're gonna we're gonna dig into this a little bit. So tell us more about you and what's the impact you're looking to make on the world.
1: So it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Angela. And I'll start with me now. Um, I'm a father of four young boys um, who are four, eight, eight, and fourteen. Uh, married the last 15, 16 years to Jill. Um, We've a small dog. I'm a big dog person. I've had dogs all my life. <laughs> I, I know only one dog. Um, after our last two died a few years ago. And we picked up a Mm -hmm. a small dog. And uh, I live in Dublin, Ireland, um, with my Mm -hmm. family. And I have lived in Ireland most of my life, lived in the Cayman Islands for a few years as well, um, back just before we set up uh, social talent. I'm a runner, um, so I run to keep sane rather than Mm -hmm. um, fit, if that makes sense. Uh, Fitness is a nice consequence that hopefully I get sometimes, but I moved remote. Uh, after the pandemic, I largely work from home. Visit our remote, op- our, our 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 co-working space uh, every couple of weeks uh, to meet up with folks, and like to go out and meet customers and our team for lunch and breakfast. I'm a big breakfast person. Um, so that's me today. My background: I started life as a recruiter professionally. Out of university, um, fell into recruiting accidentally. Went for a job to get a job, and realized I was being interviewed to be the recruiter. So I winged it, and five interviews later in 1998 i became a recruiter and then after you know 10 years or so of doing that obviously i thought i knew everything so i thought i'd set up my own recruitment company and met uh, somebody else i wanted to do that with um i didn't want to do it by myself and vince my business partner and i set up a recruitment business just after the risk re- just going into the recession that was 08 that we didn't know was a recession mm-hmm. uh, through those trials and tribulations we spun out social talent Uh, Moved it online, grew the business over the last uh, decade or so to, we service, you know, about 120 very large customers globally and their teams with um, several hundred thousand users logging into the platform every day to learn. Um, And we help uh, teams um, um, in in the areas of hiring, leadership and employee development uh, through our online platform. And I kind of accidentally ended up there. Um, My roots. Uh, you know, I I I grew up working um from a uh, yeah, middle class background, but we we uh we had ups and downs where we had no money. Um and I had the type of no money that other people go, oh yeah, no money. You go, no, 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 like like the sheriff came to our door to take all our possessions and repossess the house. Mm. My mother had to beg them not to several times. That kind of no money. Um and I went out and got my first job at eleven and by fourteen I had seven employers. Uh, while I was in school. I worked before school, I worked after school, I worked the evenings and I worked weekends. Um, Not because my parents were sending me to work uh, in a coal mine, because I loved working and doing my own thing. Um, And that stood to me all my life. All my career, apart from once, uh, my employers were all women. I grew up seeing uh, strong women all around me. Um, So default is that are typically better um, at managing yeah running things you know that's all all i had seen growing up growing up um my father was an entrepreneur um not -hmm. successful um but i kind of had that bug about doing my own thing and i guess i kind of always had a chip on my shoulder can i end up going to good schools because i got scholarships um but i didn't have the economic status of my um, my peers. So I kind of always had a chip on my shoulder about, you know, we never had that privilege from a financial perspective, but I was surrounded by it um, in school. And I guess I went into the working world, um, not liking these injustices, you know, for the women I used to work for who ran their own businesses, who were uh, fantastic entrepreneurs, for family members, my own mother who had to try and fight um, to to maintain her wages against you know, recruitment agencies that were trying to Squeeze our contracts and do all these different things. when she was just trying to put food on the table for us. And I guess I saw that then further in recruiting, I saw further injustices injustices about decisions that get made around hiring. So I guess when we built the platform, um, you know, we were training recruiters initially on how to recruit. Um, very early on, we started adding in what I guess you'd call today diversity content, um, and we yeah. kind of snuck it in. We we met with a bunch of folks who are super passionate and more knowledgeable about this in our area and we felt it was important content to have because we could see the influence that recruiters and recruiting teams had on big organizations as the gatekeepers of the front door we kind of felt like there was a lot of good education that they needed though they didn't weren't asking for it so we kind of just snuck it in and sprinkled it around the stuff we knew they did want and that grew legs over the years um and that's a real passion area of mine is trying to you know look at the content that the learning and knowledge that not only people need, but are um, not only the people want, but what we think they need. So, you know, our, our content curriculum as a learning library, we think about, we've got training courses on how to hire folks, on how to develop talent in an organization, how to lead and manage talent. It very much has an agenda, Angela, and that ties mm-hmm. into better workplaces piece. You know, we have a strong view on what a, the right way to, be, you know, build a workplace and build a culture is. and. For most of our customers, we're proud to work with. They agree with that. But if an organization comes along and says that's not really for us, have you got a different version? The answer is no. We don't do a different mm-hmm. version. We do the version we think is right, and that's really important to us.
0: Love that. I love the integrity around what you've built. Uh, I am in a similar spot. You know, I work with uh, organizations on their culture more from a consulting perspective, and it it is really it's really difficult um, to. Um, you know, kind of pierce the integrity of methodology, right? That, you know, you've built over time that includes these concepts. And I always tell people, you know, we kind of have the formula around this stuff. We've studied it, we've tried, we've tested it. So I'm glad to hear that you have this integrity and your story is uh, so fascinating as to how you got here and the perspective. I love the this idea of recruiters hiring teams as gateways into organizations and, and thus kind of being that first point of contact. So I'd love to hear that piece connected with the future workplace, which is kind of here, right? <laughs> I know we're saying like the future of work. Uh, I keep saying like, we've just, because of COVID, because of many other factors, we've kind of leaped. Um, what are some of the skills you're building other than you know, DE&I, um, what are some of the other skills that you're future-proofing, hiring teams, recruiting teams, to better, be better gatekeepers, essentially?
1: So our focus is on what we call core skills or what most people maybe would call soft skills. Um, and what is a soft or core skill? To me, it is a skill that transcends all roles, whereas let's say the opposite will be a hard skill, which is particular to a career or job. So learning um, accountancy, and debits and credits is particular to accountancy and that's a hard skill our marketing um, traditional marketing might be a hard skill whereas Mm -hmm. leadership hiring um how do you basically prioritize work um how do you you know manage teams these are all uh, kind of general or core skills that are required in every profession and every role and that's kind of where we focus our attention on those core skills first Mm of all when you look at Hiring is kind of really looking from the employee journey perspective. It's like, you're gonna get hired, um, you're gonna wanna develop, and you're gonna be led. And everything comes from doing those three things right. So getting the hiring right, which is not just the decision-making around the hiring, the process, but the onboarding, but it's it's all of those things. Um, The right processes, and there's different stakeholders get involved in that. There's professional TA or recruiting teams, there's hiring managers, there's interview panelists, the so hate your folks a whole bunch of folks who get involved in that decision and if they're aligned and doing it right you can make really great decisions where you hire the call the right people and the right people deliver they're motivated they're happy they perform for the organization they develop further in the organization that's what right looks like if you like um and then you've got leaders leaders have a big role in hiring for sure but they have a bigger role in onboarding developing bringing the best out of uh, the that talent and you know I always look look more at the sports coaching method which is you know if you look at any sort of team or individual sport the coach is forgotten about like who's the coach for some of the olympians that we we celebrate um who's usain bolts coach like nothing is spoken of her or him um because that's the right job of a coach is to allow the star which is the talent to to shine and to Mm. support that person motivate that person drive that person make sure that person has everything they need to succeed um including motivation including resources and to then succeed that's what a leader looks like a leader doesn't necessarily take the the limelight right They, they allow others to perform that's the job of management um and then you've got the development piece and in the development piece you know, we live in a world where there's a massive shortage of so many skills and not just STEM skills, which is what most people think about, but skills in everything. And there's a lot of businesses who focus on upskilling and reskilling folks and some great platforms that can teach you to be a software developer or a marketeer. But what we focus on, again, because they're hard skills, we focus on all the soft skills that people forget about. You know, if I say to you, Angela, you could be a computer engineer tomorrow and here's online training that could turn you into a a Ruby on Rails developer. First of all, do you want to be? Is that the thing you should do? Great. If I, if I do this training, how do I then get the job? How do I succeed that job? Um, how do I you know, network with folks who might be um, hiring for those roles? What does that look like? There's a whole lot of stuff that's necessary around that, that nobody addresses. They assume that by sitting in front of a computer and watching videos about how to do some hard skill, that person is going to be successful in their career there. That's just not the truth, right? So we really focus about the soft skills or the core skills around that, that drive better mobility for folks, give them more opportunity, better thinking. How do you, because, you know, getting a job, you know, is maybe 20, 30% around the skills you have. It's about access, network, how you position yourself, all those other things. And, and someone needs to do a good job of teaching people how to do that well. Because just like you said about the work you do with organizations around culture, where you kind of go, there's a right and wrong way. It's been written down before. This isn't a mystery. It's not a mystery of how to be successful in career mobility and 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 and, and, and career progression. It's just not well distributed that knowledge. Mm. So I'm all about distributing that a little bit more evenly to folks who perhaps have no access to it today.
0: Mm. No, that that's that's wonderful. Um, and I think these you know court. I love core skills versus soft skills because I usually call them like hard af skills because you know they are the hardest of all skills uh technical skills sure they're they're difficult to to obtain but um those core skills are, are so important and in reality they are what really drives a business forward but it also in, it also provides um skills that that people um use when it comes to motivation feeling like they're contributing feeling like they're a part of something larger than themselves so I would love to shift our conversation a little bit to, uh, you know, from a talent perspective, right? So we've talked about some of the the skills that you're infiltrating within organizations through hiring teams, through recruiters, through broader teams. But we're at a very interesting spot right now when it comes to the market and talent. And we've heard a lot of different terms, right? We just love the buzzwords these days. Uh, you know, like a decade ago, it was a war on talent. Now it's The great resignation and quiet quitting and all sorts of all sorts of stuff uh what are your thoughts on that where are we in the state of talent and what are we getting right and what are we getting wrong when it comes to attracting them
1: so at the time of recording in early 23 uh, where we are right now the great resignation of 2022 is over it is gone um and i say that because i talk to our top customers who employ between ten and seven hundred thousand employees ten thousand and seven hundred thousand employees big employers and those individuals share with me that they had attrition rates up to 25 percent last year and those attrition rates fell to less than five percent as the year closed so there was so much movement of talent last year like numbers we've never seen before and um, the ceo of linkedin shared this at their talent connect event last october when they saw this movement rate go fourfold on the LinkedIn platform. Like just a measure of people changing their employer on LinkedIn, right? Which across their whatever number of hundred million members, it's pretty statistically valid. And it went four X in a year. They didn't they, they ever mm-hmm. see it, the history of their platform, right? So we all felt this, that's gone. You know, fears about the economy, about inflation, about war in Europe or different things have led to, for whatever reasons, folks just not moving jobs as much but there's still very few talented people um, available, just wandering around and looking for a job with all the skills that employers are looking for, right? We still have these big skill gaps. And in fact, the skill gaps are in so many industries, in every industry we don't think about, like hospitality, in manufacturing, in, in distribution, and retail, you can't get retail staff, you cannot get F&B servers in a restaurant anywhere in the world today, right? So like, it's it's not just, you know, these high skilled office jobs which maybe we would have traditionally only thought of it's just everywhere it's really hard to get folks to do anything um because you know we have almost full employment in most markets in the us we have yes we have um some uh you know high inflation we have other economic indicators that perhaps aren't great but employment employment's great you know it's still really strong it's just amongst, it's, it's amongst the strongest levels it's been in two decades right um, so so on a, on a kind of macro level, you have this situation where whilst the movement within the market has slowed right down it doesn't there isn't really any net new talent out there so it's still really difficult to find talent but what happened last year because um we were just moving the chairs we we're playing this game of musical chairs all year long right and i had started the previous year this great resignation we constantly had people shifting in and out of our organizations and we were just constantly trying to make them happy right both to keep them, because we're afraid of everyone leaving, because if one in four of your team in your team is likely to leave this year, you really want to keep everyone. And then you knew people coming in and were like, we have to make them happy because they're just in the door. Let's make them so happy. And I think in 2022, for all these reasons, a lot of companies perhaps lost their focus. And they shifted their focus from a, a people and ops perspective to just make everyone really happy you know, satisfy their demands no matter what, because that's going to solve our problems. And that's a really understandable reaction. Um, salaries went up, which contributed to inflation, right? Don't get me wrong. Um, but also the terms and conditions expanded, which for a lot of folks was necessary and really good. But we mm-hmm. started doing things um, that were never done before, like providing supports that were unheard of even three years previous, right? And We talked before we went on air about, you know, ERGs that popped up for topics that were surprising. It's kind of like there was almost an ERG for everything, as opposed to ERGs for folks who really needed or or, were marginalized or disenfranchised or not given the same opportunity. There seemed to be these new clubs and communities and resource groups for kind of everything because everyone needed a club. Everyone needed a badge and needed to get rewarded and told they're brilliant. Everyone... Um, every manager was just looking for their team to just give them top scores. Great manager. Love you. And, and, and you know, because the companies are going, well, you can't have your people leave. That's disastrous for us. And you got to keep these new people we spend so much time hiring. And that doesn't create a positive culture, right? It doesn't create the kind of culture that I've seen work. Uh, and I can expand on what is a good culture versus that. But I think we are suffering from that in early 23, a bit of a hangover of that. As companies retrench, um, trim staff, reorganize, it's being felt everywhere. It's, it's just a shock to the way people and ops teams and organizations were treating folks last year, that, it, it, that that gap, that dissonance is unsettling for people this year.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it feels a bit scattered. I, I would agree. And this kind of reflects, I think, some of the uh, when I'm working with clients in particular, uh, when, when we're, we're coming in and, and they've tapped us to say, you know, help us with a strategic approach around our culture. Uh, we often um, step into, you know, things like, um, you know, the, the, the tea station or the, the food trucks or the ping pong tables and all these surface level things that in theory, sure, they're, they're fun, they're great. They might make people happy. um, But what you're getting to, I think, is more sustainable, positive, healthy culture. And how do we really put our energy towards closing gaps in a strategic way and doing things that um, create equity? And we talk about equity, you know, it's equal outcomes. So sometimes we get equality and equity confused. And a lot of times I think organizations are looking at equality. Like, let's just peanut butter it all over the place and see what happens. When in reality, you need to get to know your people as humans. And that helps you understand what they need versus maybe just this like happiness, satisfaction play that you're talking. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point around opting in and the the clarity around culture and how it's, it's aligned, because I do think, you know, although we are, um, we're focused on, on being employee focused. I, I do agree with you, like throwing spaghetti at the wall, around making employees happy to see what sticks is not culture building. That's just throwing spaghetti at the wall and making things messy sometimes. Um, But, you know, being um, specific around why something like psychological safety uh, is an important element to the way we get work done here, for example. Uh, If we are trying to aim for innovation and creativity, we know that building a safe culture is important for that. So how do we do that? How does that show up with behaviors? How does that show up with leadership? That is more of a strategic approach to creating a culture. Um, And it's also, you know, because culture, I always think about it as it's also a groundswell. Uh, So it's also a culmination of the the people you've brought on. But if you're not clear about who you're bringing on or you're not clear about your culture, people don't have the opportunity to opt out. Um, And I've seen a lot of organizations try to mirror or mimic other cultures at at the surface right so it's kind of that performative like the yep. words are are beautiful but then it's like you get that buyer's remorse when you walk into the into the organization it's like this is not what i signed up for and that is damaging to culture
1: massively and you you look at you know the the idea of an inclusive culture or inclusive team right is noble and it's 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 one i aspire for as well um it can be divisive right straight away you have a whole group of folks who get their up, thinking you know I, I gotta do this inclusive leadership training and they're kind of going well i know what this is about this is some diversity initiative and blah 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 and so therefore they're resistant and you're gonna have, you know you're gonna be in trouble which means the only people who buy into it are the people who probably don't need it in the first place because they're you know already aligned to the right I- or most of the right ideas so so language can be really important um, to just set things up, right? But it's also not very helpful to say to somebody, you need to be a more inclusive leader because it doesn't break down what that means. It's like saying you need to be a, a, a high-performing sales team. It's like, well, who doesn't mm-hmm. want to be a high-performing sales team? But like, how do I get there? What does that mean, right? Um, or be know- a
0: team player, right? <laughs> okay. Of course yeah. you want. Like,
1: no, it, it, it doesn't help people. Whereas I do like psychological safety as a kind of... Um, a subcomponent of that because there's a lot more clarity around what that means and it's also less divisive right because you don't have to be on a side to support psychological safety it's like we want to create an environment where folks are happy you know feel comfortable to engage in discourse and discuss without retribution it's like no matter what side of something you're on that feels like some, you know you want to be part of that right so that's helpful and there's more ground rules then in terms of those right ways of doing things and wrong ways of doing things in that kind of environment that's proven to work over time and you can adopt those techniques to create a safe environment um and it's not a, a consensus environment either right that's not what we're trying to uh, create with psychological safety we're, we're saying that we want to be able to encourage discourse we're going to be able to um effectively argue and, and allow people to make you know make good arguments but we're going to also have a decision making process and when we make a decision we're going to move on from it and we're going to also feel safe about that too and not to keep going back to it so you know you, you you have tactics you can really use to create psychological safety and you know all of the evidence suggests that doing so in a team will lead to more inclusivity in the team members right so inclusivity is more of an outcome in that situation from a tactic mm-hmm. that's easier to get your head around. And that's where, you know, I think concepts like psychological safety work really well because folks can get their heads around it, can really actually adopt, you can you can operationalize that. It's really hard to operationalize inclusivity. Like, what does that mean, right? Allyship, again, is another good concept I like because it's quite tactical. How do you show up and be an ally to your colleagues? There are very specific tactics you can employ to be a good ally. Right, and and therefore you can break it down as a colleague. You can go, I should do these things, and I, I can recognize these scenarios. And there's a there's a thing I can do that makes me a better ally, and a thing I can you know choose not to do that makes me a a, a poor colleague or a poor ally to somebody. And so if it, if it becomes more clear, and you can break it down to those concepts and give people real tools, um, to help their colleagues, help their workplace, and help themselves. So I think it's breaking down bigger concepts into more digestible operationally, kind of. Um, easy to understand concepts is, is what our job needs to be. Well,
0: I'm glad you said that because as an organizational psychologist, that makes me happy. We focus on behavior change, right? Behaviors. So we get to, if I was rolling a camera, what would I see? What would I see? What would I feel? Um, and, and that's how culture change actually happens. You have to get past that level of surface values or core values, you know, that are like posted on the wall. We have to talk about what it looks like but also what it doesn't look like. And that's equally as important. Um, and I'm sure your your, your product, um, you know, uses that approach to really create uh, additional learning for your your audiences. So- What do you have? It's I actually important. love the-
1: Well, it's why I oh, god bias training. Like bias training is like, what the heck is bias training, right? You're just telling people about the problems we have and you're shutting it down, you know, if that's where it ends. And unfortunately a lot of bias training just ends there. You know, it's like, mm-hmm okay, but how, how do we fix this? And I've always been a, a, a future forward person. It's like, I, I don't like sitting there and trying to you know, assign blame or figure out why it went wrong. It's like, well, how do we fix it? What's the way forward, right? I've always been a fixer. And if you have that mindset, which is how do we, how do we get ourselves out of this as opposed to, you know, there's a certain amount of understanding about why we're in it that, that is potentially helpful. But if you don't connect that to a, a behavior that you can then, you know, a, a change. Mm-hmm a certain situation it's wasted right it just like this is how the human mind works okay there you go lesson's over everyone feels good or somebody in leadership feels good that we rolled out some bias training like no that's that's not enough you know you need to connect that to well knowing this is how your brain works how can we how can we change that how can we not be you know reliant on our reptilian brain right and and it's (laughs) it's primeval kind of functions and um the biases and heuristics that we have how can we uh, stop that from happening and kind of and take more control if you like of our decisions because sometimes that's the thing our, they're not our decisions you know they're they're rooted in us and we're not consciously making them and we need to just learn that we can learn techniques to make more conscious decisions and that's the bit that's really to your point around behavior that's the connection where it's not good enough to explain the what and it isn't good enough even to explain the why you gotta explain the how that's the thing that unfortunately people leave behind too often is so critical.
0: Oh yeah. And if you, if you look at, um, so I agree with you, I think, I think acknowledging bias is important. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that we have spent a ton of money from a, a, DEI perspective focused on training and bringing concepts just to people's awareness, just for that conversation, you just mentioned to, to be shut down, right. To kind of, for everybody to shut down. Uh, I totally agree with you that we should be focused on be- behavior change. So how do you how do you then translate that into um, awareness, but also how that shows up uh, from a day to day perspective and how it shows up with interactions with it ourselves? Because, you know, our thoughts turn into actions, but also with our colleagues, with our leader, with our teams. Um, so. So, um, yes, maybe, I think
1: maybe I'll add in a very specific example, because it'd be remiss of me mm-hmm. not to give that uh, to one of your earlier questions. Right. You mentioned earlier, you asked about hiring and I didn't ask you, uh, I didn't answer you specifically and my apologies for that. But but how it plays out, for example, in in hiring is that you can tell people that there's a bias, natural biases in hiring processes and and the ways people hire. And that's all very well. But unless you connect it back to, again, standardized processes, so for example, standardized structured questioning around uh, specific skills that you're looking to hire for, uh, perhaps values that your organization um, hold high, giving people you know the structured questions to ask, a framework in which to follow up those questions and to rate answers consistently against a rubric, you need to scale that stuff out in an organization. And that reduces or removes most of the bias and it's not, you know, not the telling people that you have bias that does it. It's the structured process that you have to roll out and implement and then enforce and measure against and test people against regularly. That's what helps. Yes, a certain amount of awareness will go a long way, but also things like don't say these stupid things like when we roll out interview training with large organizations, it usually starts with here's the dumb shit you say that you shouldn't say, right? And you <laughs> kind of clear that out. And, and, you know, I do an exercise with folks where I kind of go, here's 10 questions. Tell me what's like a dumb thing to say. Tell me what's perfectly fine things to say. And what's questionable. And Mm. the dumb stuff's easy. Everyone gets that. But the questionable stuff, most people get wrong. You know, where they just don't understand. And it opens their mind. So, for example, I'll ask folks, um, is this an appropriate interview question? What's your favorite book? And most people think, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then you follow up and go, "Well, what if the person responds with the Quran? The Bible. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many answers to that, that could just open up a can of worms. You do not want to open up in an interview process that's not relevant to the process. And, and what the heck relevance is someone's favorite book to any interview unless you're a librarian and even then still not relevant. I, I just, you know, it's trying to just open people's eyes, but then follow up with the how. Here's the right way to ask questions. Here's the right way to do it. Here's the things that you could do wrong, introducing a candidate, setting up a Zoom interview, things you should not shouldn't ask. Please avoid, you know, personal conversations like "Where are you today?" Really, that's why. Who's that in the background? Is that your son? Oh, he's lovely. Again, you're nice. You're being nice, but here's why you can't do that. And instead, here's a different way to st- set up your, your your interview when you first come on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's giving them the real tactical stuff, pulling in processes. Processes. That's what actually helps
0: people. Yeah, it's it, it, you try to get take the guesswork out of it and the the little nooks and crannies where bias can sneak in. Uh, and the, the objectivity at the end of the day is is important, and also that balance with being um, there's always this balance I feel like with being human centered and also like to operationalize and, and to create process to scale, and that's another like if I can think of another Venn diagram right we talked about business interest employee interest this is another one where it's like how do we make sure we create structures that are equitable that are fair. And then also you know consistency predictability but also be be human centered it's a tough job we we have
1: (laughs) sorry this is a really good point none of it's easy and it's Mm -hmm. also been forgiving on others who perhaps stumble or fail and realizing that none of us are perfect and that's the thing about leadership Uh, leaders get a hard time for things that go wrong don't go as right as others would like them to do but being a leader is tough right it's really hard Mm -hmm. to balance all this stuff and individuals in a meeting you'll say something stupid you'll laugh at something inappropriate and it's don't be hard on yourself um or don't be so hard on yourself as long as you're willing to acknowledge the challenge the mistake and you move on and improve it make a commitment to not making the same mistake again none of us are perfect right but we, we we can't be hard on ourselves and you can't be so hard on others as well. It's again, be forgiving. And, and sometimes when you are in this space and you're you're trying to fly the flag of more inclusivity and more equity in the organisation, sometimes it goes wrong, and you start really, you know, beating on folks who aren't, in your opinion, doing a good enough job, who've erred, who fell in, in their journey. And it's just, I always try and you know, just try and take that perspective of you know, you got to be empathetic to what's going on in that world. You know, I'll close on this. I was driving yesterday and someone cut in front of us and accelerated off. And I was in the car with my wife. and I was like, look at that asshole. And she's like, yeah, she was like, but maybe they have a sick kid and they got to get home for it. Maybe they are really paranoid and someone's been chasing them and they just need to get away from them. It's like, you don't know. And I was like, yep, fair enough. You know, I'm the asshole. I just made some massive assumption based on a, a behavior I don't understand. I have no context to, and it's just I think if all of us could just be a little bit more forgiving to kind of step back when we don't have all the answers, and most of the time we don't have all the answers, and just maybe um, be a little bit more optimistic about someone's intent and not so quick to criticize and judge, and be more open-minded. If everyone had that attitude, I think we'd uh, we'd make a lot lot of progress.
0: Hmm. So I have one last question <laughs> to follow up on that. Cause you're just, you've got all the ideas flowing in my head here. When, when do we move from, from grace to accountability?
1: Um, I will always allow somebody one mistake. Um, you know, people make a mistake. Um, I won't allow the same mistake twice, um, in my kids, in my, friends in others, it's like you know, you can err on something, you can mess up, but you gotta learn from it. And if you don't, then then it's all on you. The accountability is all on you. You know, it's it's not acceptable um, to repeat that over and over again. Someone can make a comment, you go, you know what? That was inappropriate because it made me feel like this. And it goes, Oh, I'm jeez, I'm really sorry. I get that. I go, okay, that's okay. They didn't understand. I explained it to them. And then you go into a meeting next week and they do the same thing again that's it. Right. Um, maybe that's harsh, but to me, that's just a no go. I'll give you a chance. I get, I need to give everyone a chance, but like, I don't give multiple chances to folks on the same issue because I, I think you, you know, you have to be accountable for this stuff. It's too easy to go. Oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. I won't do it again. It's grand. No problem at all. And then someone does it again. They do it again again. Um, there has to be accountability. Right. I think, you know, again, I think I'd like to start with that, you know, Attitude of grace and attitude of forgiveness and empathy, and to go. Hang on a second; I need to get to the bottom of this. You get to the bottom of it, and you have a conversation. And if things don't change or improve, well, then then it's it's on that person. Then you 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 you've done it. And again, people will mess up; they'll say they'll say silly things all the time. And I am always willing to give some of the benefit of the doubt to Mm -hmm. talk it out. You get to the real reasons. We agree what the issue is, and as long as it's done right and there is clarity and transparency, I expect it to never happen again. Then. Not, not on that issue because I think it's unacceptable that happens again. You've got to be accountable
0: after that. Hmm. Well, like I said, this work is messy. We talked about these intersections between business interests, employee interests, equity and fairness and, you know, being human. Uh, We talked about accountability and grace. I mean, I just, I'm seeing all the little overlaps. So um, just thank you for the conversation. Thanks for talking through some of the hard stuff and, you know, talking through some important issues around culture, around hiring, around the the state of uh, the workplace. And just to really appreciate your time and and insights, Johnny.
1: A pleasure. And thank you for for your podcast for the voices you have on i've listened to your your previous shows and they've challenged me and i, I love uh, speakers and guests who challenge um because we don't have all the answers right uh, the beauty is we're learning right and i hope to be able to sit back and listen to this in a year's time and go do you know what i've changed my mind on that um yeah. because that should be everyone's attitude is to, to not have that rigid mind to be open for someone else to persuade you that you were wrong uh, i think that's where the grace comes in
0: Great. And just one more thing to close us out. Tell us, Johnny, um, if people wanted to learn more about social talent or you or your co-founder or your team, where, where could they find more information?
1: Type social talent into Google, ChatGPT, anywhere you want to put in, Instagram, <laughs> LinkedIn, you'll find us uh, or reach out to me personally wherever you find me online as well. Thank
0: you so much, Johnny.
1: Thank you. I'm sorry.